What's up, Life Church? It's so good to see all of you guys here today. If you're new here, let me introduce myself. Uh, I am Pete. I'm the lead pastor here. And just uh, on behalf of all of our staff and our Dream Team members, we are so excited to have you join us here today, whether you're new to the area or you're the invited guest of someone who attends here. Uh, you have joined us on a very, very exciting Sunday as we are pumped and excited to celebrate with those who are taking their next step of faith today by going under the waters of baptism. It's why we exist as a church, to help people know and follow Jesus step by step. And so it's going to be a great Sunday because we love helping people take next steps. And the truth of the matter is, regardless of where you're at on your journey of faith, whether you've been following Jesus for 50 years or you've recently made a decision to follow him, we all have a next step to take. And as a church, we consider it an honor and a privilege and our responsibility to help you take those steps. And so a couple of weeks ago, you might remember me announcing something, an initiative that we're launching beginning next Sunday called Growth Path. Growth path is intended to be an intentional pathway of spiritual growth for you to discover the, the, the potential and the gifts that God has in store for you. And so that growth path has three steps. Step one is belong at life, which is going to begin next Sunday. It's an opportunity for you to kind of get a glimpse at who we are as a church. What do we believe? Where do we come from? What's our history? But more importantly, where are we going? Because God is leading us somewhere. But my favorite part about it is that it's going to give you the opportunity to establish roots and get connected and belong in the body here at Life Church Buffalo. We're going to talk about church membership, but what I like to better call covenant partnership. Because to me, membership is something that I can do at the gym where I pay my monthly dues and the gym exists to meet my needs, but I have no responsibilities to take ownership of that organization's success. But if I were part owner, if I was a partner in that business, in that organization, then I would have responsibilities. And as the church of Jesus Christ, as members of his body, it's important that we understand that we need to get planted and rooted in a local church and partner with one another in this covenant. The New Testament is the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And as members, as covenant partners, we all have responsibilities to help carry out and advance his mission. So you're going to get the opportunity to, to partner with us as you get rooted here. And then step two is connected life where you get to build fruit, multiply and establish fruit from being connected in community here at Life Church Buffalo. And so these two steps, we announced it two weeks ago, and within a week, we had over 30 people sign up. So I'm pumped to see how excited all of you are to be a part of the growing family that God is building here at Life Church Buffalo. So these first two steps, just so you guys know, are going to be offered every other month. Step one will be on the second Sunday of the month. Step two will be on the third Sunday of the month and will take place during this 11 o'clock experience. And so even though this month's sessions are full, seating is limited and we don't have any more room for more people, but I want to let you know that you can sign up now to get in on the January sessions that will take place come the new year. And so you can do that by stopping by the information table before you leave, or better yet, the easiest way is just to log on to our website, lifechurchbuffalo.com forward slash growth path. 
Click on the button there and register before the seats get filled up for that session. But it's exciting. And then next spring, we're going to launch step three, which is lead at life, which is really designed to help you uh, discover how to um, maximize your personal leadership because we all have uh, influence in, in people's lives. And we want to help and come alongside of you to uh, leverage that leadership and maximize your impact in other people's lives. And so, so excited about what God's doing in our church, excited about what we're going to get to experience here in just a few moments as we celebrate with people who are taking their next step. But as we continue our series today on finding our way back to God, I want to begin with a story that I heard this week of a guy who, for our sake, we'll call Jim, who went on a cruise to the Bahamas with his wife, along with some of his co-workers that he won for being a top producer in his company. And after a week long of, you know, fun in the sun and relaxation on this cruise, the last day, you know, the, the, the ship comes into the port at Fort Lauderdale really early in the morning. And just as it's about time to wake up, Jim and his wife, Lori, hear this bam, bam, bam on, on the door of their cabin. And, and startled, Lori is closer to the door, and so she opens it a crack, and a crack was all it took before six drug enforcement agency officials storm in, all right, and pointing semi-automatic weapons saying, don't move, you're under arrest. It's like Jim is sitting there in his underwear in his bed, wondering, trying to make sense of what the heck is going on. And when, you know, he asks what the charges are, the DEA agents say, well, we have warrants out in six states for your arrest for dealing cocaine. He's like, whoa, what is going on? And so his first thoughts go to trying to figure out, I mean, he knows right away that uh, they've got the wrong guy. Uh, and so he's trying to figure out how to you know, clear up the confusion. But his second thought comes as he realizes his boss and coworkers are standing outside the door of his cabin, imagining to themselves, maybe Jim isn't the guy we thought he is. And so it took a couple of hours of talking with the DEA agents to convince them that he wasn't who they thought he was. Turns out he was a victim of identity theft a guy who had gotten a hold of his social security number and all of his credit card numbers, assumed a new identity in his name and used it to engage in some very illegal activities. And so after a couple hours of convincing the DEA, it took him a couple weeks to have some difficult decisions and awkward conversations with his employer to convince them that you know he wasn't guilty of these charges and throughout the whole process, you know, he had to spend thousands of dollars to clear his name and straighten out the whole, you know, identity fraud stuff. And, you know, I don't know if that, anything like that has ever happened to you. Uh, but unfortunately, in our society, too often today, um, identity theft and fraud is becoming more and more of a common occurrence. But my question to you today as we begin is, you know, maybe you've not experienced identity theft, but what happens when we sometimes willingly forfeit or lose sight of what our true identity is as children of God. You see, we're in the middle of this series called Finding Your Way Back to God, which is really all about five awakenings that we experience on our journey back to find God. And these awakenings can actually help us find our way back to God. And for those of you who weren't here in week one, we talked about the awakening to longing. 
this universal uh, thing that happens to every person. We all, every single person alive wants to know love, wants to experience love. We all want to know our purpose. We want to have a reason to get up in the morning and, and face our day, face our week with a sense of purpose, knowing why we're here, that we want to accomplish something significant with our lives. And we all want to know, you know, the answers to some of life's more difficult questions. We want to find meaning when life doesn't seem to make sense. And these longings are given to us by God and can only be fulfilled in a relationship with him. But oftentimes, we try to find fulfillment for these longings away from him, which leads us to our second awakening, which we talked about in week two, which is the awakening to regret. When we wake up after having tried to pursue fulfillment for these longings apart from a relationship with God, and we do things that create it, it, it you know, our, our conscience becomes guilty when we recognize we've done some things wrong, and those things that we thought would satisfy us don't, and we wake up with regret, and sometimes we get stuck in what we call the sorry cycle, you know, an endless endless cycle of, of longing. You know, we do things which create regret, which creates more longings, and over and over again we go. Until one day, hopefully, we come to our senses and we wake up and recognize, I need help. I can't do this on my own. I can't get myself out of this mess. I need help. And that's the third awakening we talked about, the awakening to help, when we recognize that the help we all need has a name, and his name is what? Somebody help me out. His name is Jesus. That's right. And we discovered that last week in the awakening to help, which leads us to where we are today. We're home, but even though we're home, the journey isn't over. We've talked about through the series how finding your way back to God, yes, is a life-changing moment. We come to a point of decision where we recognize that I want to follow Jesus, but you know, this, this journey of finding your way back to God is also a life-growing process. It's both a life-changing moment and a life-growing process. Because we come home to God doesn't mean that everything in our lives overnight gets magically fixed, right? Our problems don't disappear overnight. Sometimes, even after we come home, we tend to forget who we really are. We lose our identity. Which is why the fourth awakening is so important because it holds the secret to our true identity. So in this epic story that we've been following along with that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son who, as you know, asked for his father's inheritance, you know, before his father passed away, which basically was him saying, hey, dad, I don't care if you live or die, but I want what's coming to me now. And he goes and wastes his inheritance in wild living as he goes to a distant land, you know, living it up, living the good life until a famine hits the land and, you know, he's got nothing left. His friends desert him. He's got nowhere to sleep, nothing to eat, and so he takes the only job he can find, which is feeding pigs on a farm, and if you know anything about Jewish culture in that time, that was like the lowest of the low, because pigs were considered unclean. And so he finally comes to his senses, and man, I don't know how I got here, but even the, the slaves and the servants in my father's house have it better than I have it here. I'm going to go home and I'm going to, you know, give him this really good speech. And hopefully, I know that I'll never be accepted back as a son, but maybe he'll let me in as, as a hired worker because anything is better than this misery I'm living in now. And so he sets out on the road back to go home. And as we learned last week, while he was still a long way off, 
The father saw him, which meant he was waiting, he was watching, expecting, longing for his son to come home. And with a reckless abandon, with an undignified manner, because important men in that society didn't run, right? We talked about that last week, but with a reckless abandon, he, he runs and embraces his son, showering him with hugs and kisses. And look at how the son responds to this outpouring of love in Luke 15, verse 21. He goes into this speech that he prepared. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And even after seeing his father run after him with mercy and compassion, even after being embraced and bombarded with hugs and kisses, even after all these unmistakable signs of the father's grace, mercy, and love, the son's opinion of himself, the way he sees himself, hasn't yet caught up to the reality of who he is, what his true identity is. And maybe you've felt that way. Maybe you feel that way right now. You've found your way back to God, but your longings continue to take you on a journey far from him. You're left with mountains of pain and regrets, and sometimes you feel so burdened by shame that you can't possibly imagine God would ever embrace you or welcome you back home. The prodigal son in our story was filled with shame, and it's almost like shame was the shadow that followed him home. It's kind of like that Peanuts character that had the dust cloud constantly following him everywhere he went. Shame can be like that, following us everywhere we go, making us feel dirty and unworthy of the Father's love. It can follow us home too. It keeps us from embracing our true identity. So yes, even after we come home, we still need this fourth awakening. Because while the son was shaking his head in shame, insisting, I'm no longer worthy to be your son, the father shouts out to the servants. Look at verse 22. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And the son has to be thinking in this moment, what is going on? All of this, the ring, the robe, the sandals for me? I don't, I don't deserve this. And see, what I want to spend some time explaining to you today is the symbolism and the significance of these three gifts that the father gave his son and what they mean to us today for those of us who on our journey of finding our way back home to God. You see, the robe that the father put on his son in their culture was a symbol of rest. At the father's command, the servants grabbed and said, the best robe in the house. Well, whose robe was the best robe? The father's. The father didn't grab some extra robe he had hanging in the closet. He didn't grab some dirty robe. He, he had the servants grab his robe and throw it on his son's shoulders. Can you imagine what the son would have felt like in that moment to have his father's robe? He's, he's dirty, covered in filth, and, and he's got his father's robe being draped on him. And to realize, you mean I don't have to run anymore? I don't have to prove myself anymore? I don't, I don't have to strive anymore? Everything is going to be okay? That, is this what home feels like? I almost forgot, and all of a sudden, the son can rest. He can take a breath and rest. The robe represents rest, but it doesn't just represent rest. For us today, because of Jesus Christ, the robe also represents Jesus' righteousness. 
You see, speaking prophetically about Jesus, the prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, when he says, For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. See, you understand, when you come home to the Father, he throws his son's robe of righteousness around you, which means when when God looks at you, when you come home to the Father, he does not see your sin. He doesn't see your filth. He doesn't see your shame. He sees the atoning sacrifice of his son. Righteousness means right standing with God. And so the theological term for that is imputed righteousness, where God takes Jesus' righteousness. It's not based upon what you've done. It's not based upon how good you are or how you can measure up or fulfill the the obligations of the law. It's Jesus' righteousness that he credits to your account. And so when God the Father looks at you, when you've returned to him, he sees the robe of righteousness that comes from Jesus. Man, this is so powerful, guys. If we would recognize the way God sees us when he looks at us, it would change how we live and how we act. It's powerful. But number two, the ring that he places on his finger was a sign of security and authority. You see, throughout history, whenever someone was in the presence of a king, you know, what would that person often have to do? They'd kiss the ring of the king. It was a symbol of his power. It was also a sign of your submission to his authority. And also when someone was presented a ring in that culture, it was often a sign of them being placed in an office of authority. So the giving of the ring in this moment transfers from the father to the son all of his power and authority. So the son who was broke and penniless now had the financial security and backing of his father that he could leverage as his own. It would be like if your father was incredibly wealthy and gave you a no-limit credit card to take care of all of your needs. That's what it would be like. As the son looks at the ring, he knew that he would never go without a meal again. He'd never be without a place to sleep again. He would never be wanting for anything. The ring sealed his identity and brought him tremendous security. It gave him all of the Father's authority. Do you recognize, Christian, the authority that you have in your heavenly Father? I wonder how many of us forget our true identity. Finally, the sandals that they placed on his feet were a symbol of acceptance. You see, in that Jewish culture, The only people who wore sandals were homeowners. The slaves and the servants went around barefoot. So I imagine the son returning home, shoeless, poor, and destitute, looking more like a servant than a son. And so even though the son came home with his speech prepared, knowing that what he had done in his mind had forever disqualified him from ever being able to be considered a son again, he knew that by dishonoring his father, you know, what he should have expected was the kezaza that we talked about last week, the cutting off. And so maybe if he got the words just right, if he could plead you know, with the father to have mercy on him, he could become like a hired servant, like a worker in his father's house because that's what he deserved. And so what does the father do instead? He's like, slave, servant, no way. You are my son. Put these sandals on your feet. We are family. Welcome home, son. It was a sign of acceptance as he restored him to his place as a son of the house. 
And so I realize when I look at the story and then I look at my own life, how often I fall back into the mindset of thinking that I could be a servant in my father's house. I allow shame to cloud my mind and I forget who I really am and whose I really am. I live so far beneath my rightful inheritance as a son of the king. Living under the shadow of shame and all the regrets that I still carry around that he's already paid the price for. Regrets from years ago and honestly regrets from a week ago. Maybe some of you feel the same way. You sit here and you realize, you know what? I don't know if I'm really living in my true identity. Which is why even after we find our way home, this fourth awakening, the awakening to love is so important because it's here. Whether it's for the first time or once again, that we cast off the shadow of shame and realize that, oh my goodness, God really does love me deeply after all. When we awaken to that realization, it is a game changer. When we awaken to love, we come to live in the reality that our true identity is as beloved sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. And so along this series, we've been talking about Pascal's wager and praying a prayer, praying to God as if he's real, even if you don't believe he is. I've asked us all to kind of go along on this journey together and suspend your disbelief if you don't even, you know, not sure what you believe about God. And it's a bet where you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And, you know, as part of each awakening, we've been praying a prayer. And the prayer that goes along with this fourth awakening goes like this. And this is the prayer I'm going to invite all of you to pray each day this week. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the awareness that I am your unconditionally loved child. If we would pray this and let it sink into our souls, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the awareness that I am your unconditionally loved child. Let me ask you something today. Do you believe that? Do you know that's who you really are? Do you understand that you're loved, that you're forgiven, that you're accepted? See, God longs for every single one of his children to awaken to his love, just like Rose Marie did in this next video. Take a look at her story. I went to church and um, I went because I was, we were supposed to, and so I did. It wasn't every Sunday. It was when I felt I needed him. Did the teenager things, dabbled in alcohol and, 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 and drugs, and I don't know what I was looking for, um, but I wasn't finding it. And some of those um, choices that I made as a, as a teenager you know, just filled me with regret. Um, I wish they weren't in my story. I wish I could just start over. I ended up in a relationship, and, um, and I was pregnant. having an abortion at 19 and that was really hard I didn't want God to be there seeing what I was going through seeing what I was doing so in my head I just didn't I you know my prayers were that he wasn't he wasn't looking at me he wasn't listening or watching over me when I was 20 I ended up getting pregnant again and um, carried my daughter to term and I became a mom 
Um, shortly after that, she was about a year old, um, I started going back to work and I met, um, I met my, uh, my soon-to-be husband, and I felt like that was my second chance that God put him in my path for me, to, to help guide me. We would go to church, um, and we would go consistently for a while, and then things were good, so he wasn't as needed in our head, but so obviously we weren't going about it the right way. We weren't having the relationship. We did our best. We tried it as best as we could, but when we finally had the opportunity to move to Illinois, um, my, at that time, my freshman had said, okay, but we have to go to church every weekend. We agreed, and I researched some churches, found one that I, that I thought the whole family would like. You know, knowing that we had the best intentions, we were still having a hard time um, with uh, working things out. We were a blended family. This one particular Sunday that we both remember, we were having a very bad week. Um, and it had gotten to the point where I was ready to move back home with my girls. And I was done. I was ready to throw in the towel. And the pastor came to the, um, the stage and was talking about there has to be some people in the audience that um, that are having a hard time, that are ready to be done with it, marriages. And we looked at each other, and it was just, it just seemed like he was speaking directly to us. My husband grabbed my hand, and um, he said, you know, we're not done. We're still, we're still working this through. You know, God moved us here for a reason. We both made the decision to, to really try and bring that relationship. Um, into the family to bring our girls, um, you know, for, to make sure that they all went to Stuco, went to services every Sunday, um, that we went into a small group. So it was new to us. It was it was different and um, a little awkward in the beginning, um, but just because I knew my story and um, that bothered me. It plagued me, and I wouldn't talk about it with my husband. So it was one of those things that kept in the dark. That was my burden to, to carry, my cross to bear. And I was in that jail cell with the doors wide open and sitting there punishing myself, even though I'd have already been forgiven. He was there and he was holding my hand. And so, um, and so now I know. And so when I have those days, it's not, it's not the same. And even with him knowing what I've done, I am forgiven and I'm still his daughter. You know, like Rosemarie, my hope is that every single person here today walks out of this experience with the confident knowledge of what their true identity is. That you would remember the, the robe that he gave you and realize you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You can rest secure, confident, knowing that he has clothed you with his righteousness. That you would remember the ring he gave you. You don't have to worry anymore. You are secure. You have access to all of the father's riches and he has given you all of his authority. That you would remember the sandals that he's put on your feet. You don't have to feel alone anymore. You've been accepted into his family. You are unconditionally loved. You are home. You're a son. You're a daughter. That's your identity. You know, all throughout scripture, we see reminders of this identity that we gain when we come home to the father, when we find our way back to him. 
And I want to give you just a couple of those reminders today to really drill this in. John wrote in his gospel, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. You are a son or daughter of the creator of the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You are his child. Paul wrote in Galatians 3, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. We are God's children, and as his children, Paul wrote in Romans 8.39, that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of our heavenly Father in Christ Jesus. Nothing will ever be able to separate you from his love. You know, as we continue our journey back to God, we've got to push away and resist every idea or thought or suggestion that would tell you you are anything but a son or daughter of the king. I love this statement from author Henry Nguyen who wrote in his book, Life of the Beloved. He says this, every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as though they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. Too many of us are led by our feelings. Feelings are not fact, okay? We have to tell ourselves, these feelings are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity and held safe in an everlasting belief. See, awakening to God's love means holding on to your new identity and the core of your being no matter what comes your way that you know without a doubt that you have a heavenly father who loves you just as you are right now, not as you think you should be, not some future cleaned up version of yourself. He loves you just as you are right now, that you can stop saying, I don't deserve this and start saying, God really does love me deeply after all. I love what happens next in the story. After the father gives the son the robe, the ring, and the sandals, he continues and says, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What did the father do? He threw a party. He threw a party, and to me, I think the best thing that we can do to celebrate those lost children of God who are coming home to the Father is to do the same thing, that we would throw a party, and that's exactly what we plan on doing here today. We are going to celebrate with people who have made the decision to come home to the Father and want to go public with that declaration to let the world know the change that God has done on the inside of them. Because if you're finding your way back to God, an important next step in your journey, really everyone's next step, if you've chosen to place your faith in Christ, is to get baptized. See, baptism represents the dying to our old self, our old way of life, those selfish pursuits that we were pursuing. It's dying to the, the person that was trying to live apart from God, our old self that tried to find fulfillment for these longings apart from him. And as we are lowered under the water, that old self is washed away. And as we are raised up out of the water, we are raised to new life in Christ with a new identity as sons and daughters of God. As the band comes out, they're going to lead us in a song here in a moment. But the Apostle Paul describes baptism this way in Romans chapter 6, 
when he says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. So baptism is our way of identifying with Jesus who after he was crucified was laid in a tomb. And when we go under the water, we are identifying with him as dying to our old man. And then he says, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When we come up out of that water, we are washed, we are cleansed, we have a new identity, and we are declaring to the world that our new identity is as of beloved, unconditionally loved children of God. So today, if you are ready to accept your new identity as beloved children, we want to throw you a party. We want to throw you a party. We want to celebrate with your baptism. So listen, perhaps you are finding your way back to God for the first time. Maybe it be in the last few weeks as a part of the series. Maybe it be right now in this moment you're deciding that it's time to come home. You've found yourself in the story of the prodigal son. You've awakened to these longings and the regrets that they've produced. And you're ready to come home to the father. My encouragement to you today would be to awaken to this love that he has for you and go public with your decision by getting baptized today. Perhaps you've been on this journey of finding your way back to God for a while and like the prodigal son, you've, you've taken some detours. You used to have a relationship with God, but you know what? You've found yourself in a distant land far from your father and doing some wild living of your own. Today can be the day when you come home. Or maybe you're here today and you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you've never gone public with your commitment of faith by getting baptized. Everyone's next step, once they've decided to follow Jesus, is to get baptized. And maybe you're here and you would say, you know what, I already got baptized when I was a kid or when I was a baby. And I know that we live in a part of the country where a lot of traditions here, you know, honor and observe the baptism of infants. And I just want you to hear my heart on this. I want to explain this as sensitively as I can. That was a great gesture on the part of your parents for what they wanted for your life. But when you look at scripture, every time someone was baptized, it was after they consciously made a decision to receive and follow Jesus Christ for themselves. It's called the believer's baptism. And the truth of the matter is, if you were baptized as a baby, you had nothing to do with it. You didn't know what was going on. It wasn't your decision. And so if that's you, you need to make the decision today to get baptized as an adult. And you could look at it as a fulfillment of what your parents wanted for you when you were a baby. Or maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what, that all sounds great, but faith is really a private matter for me. I want to keep this to myself. And can I just suggest to you today that while faith may be a personal matter, no one could decide for you what you believe and if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, but it was never intended to be private. It's personal, but it's not private. You see, Jesus paid a very public price when he hung on that cross to pay the price for your sins. And he said, whoever acknowledges me before men, I'll acknowledge before my father. But whoever does not acknowledge me before men, whoever's ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of them before my father. And I don't want that to be true of anyone in this room today. Your faith might be personal, but it was never meant to be private. You need to go public with your declaration to let the world know that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. And so maybe you would say, you know what? That all sounds great, and I'm ready to take that step, but I wasn't expecting to get baptized today. I'm not ready. I don't have a change of clothes. Well, the good news for you is that we've been planning this party for a long time, and we are ready for you. 
We're ready. And we want to remove all the obstacles and the roadblocks that would keep you from getting baptized today. So here's what we've done. If you are newer to our church, then this is how we celebrate baptism. We've got kits in the back for men and for women that are complete with a t-shirt that you can put on today of made new, which is what happens when you get baptized, as well as a pair of shorts, all right, that you can get changed into some undies, some tidy whities okay? For you girls, there's a sports bra in there as well. But there is everything you need to get changed into so that when you're done, you can get changed back into your dry clothes. And then in the bathrooms, we've got combs, we've got stuff for you to get changed and get ready. There's nothing standing in the way for you to make the decision to get baptized. We're gonna throw a party. And so listen, in a moment, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to release you guys. I'm going to count to three and let those of you who want to get baptized today head to the back where we've got Dream Team members in the back that will direct you and tell you where to go. And then we're going to sing a song while they get ready to give them time to get in a position. But don't let this opportunity pass you by. Awaken to the love of your Heavenly Father right now. And let us celebrate with the angels in heaven of your decision to take your next step. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for being a father who not only scans the horizon and waits for his kids to come home, but when we do, God, you run to us and you throw your robe of righteousness around us. You put a ring on our fingers. Lord, you put shoes on our feet and you throw a party. Scripture says that when one sinner comes to repentance, the angels in heaven rejoice. And so as a church, we're gonna rejoice with those who are taking that next step to make their way home to you. And I believe as we've been praying all week for this moment that there are some people who are here right now who haven't yet made that decision but know that they need to. And you're going to have that opportunity to do that right now. If you're far from God but you want to come home to the Father with all heads bowed and eyes closed, whether this is your first time or you're coming back after having strayed from Him, then can I just ask you to Shoot your hand up in the air with all heads bowed and eyes closed. Is there anyone that wants to come home to the Father? I see one hand up here in the middle. Anybody else? You want to say yes? Another hand here in the middle. Thank you, Jesus. Another hand over here on this side, over here to my left. Anybody else? You want to embrace your new identity as a son or daughter of God right here up front? Thank you, Jesus. There are sons and daughters coming home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So church, I don't want anybody praying alone. So will you all pray with those who have raised their hands to come home to the Father in this moment? Will you pray with me? Say, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I'm dirty. I've broken your rules. And I believe you sent Jesus to pay for my sin, to forgive me of my sin. I receive that forgiveness right now. I'm coming home. I turn away from my old life. Father, will you place your robe around me? Will you put a ring on my finger and shoes on my feet? Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the power to turn away from my old life and follow you, serve you every day from this day forward. 
My life is no longer my own. I give it to you. Be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for welcoming me home. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Come on, church.